Hello and bienvenido San Antonio. Welcome to the Alamo Hour, discussing the people, places, and passion that make our city. My name is Justin Hill, a local attorney, a proud San Antonioan, and keeper of chickens and bees. On the Alamo Hour, you'll get to hear from the people that make San Antonio great and unique and the best kept secret in Texas. We're glad that you're here. All right, welcome to episode 20 of the Alamo Hour. Today's guest is Ryan Pape. Uh, Ryan serves as Expel Inc.'s chairman, president, and CEO, and he previously served in multiple different capacities within the organization before taking it over, which was at the time kind of a sinking ship. Fair? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. yeah. We'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, you're also involved in the Witty. You've got two kids. You're, you and your wife live in, yep. in San Antonio within the loop. Correct. Um, and one of my oldest San Antonio friends, actually. Yeah, we go way back now. Oh, wait, I think. Oh, wait? Yeah. yeah. That's, by my math, over 10 years. That's a long time. It is. And you were my neighbor's friend who I met through them. And I actually went back the other day to see if one of my other neighbors who lived across from them was still alive. And he was. Oh. Him and his wife. Well, they that's were good. Still there. Very old, very yeah. poor health, and yeah. very happy to see me. Good. Ryan, you've listened to a few of these, so uh, we're going to go through sort of a top 10, but I've decided it has to be a top 10 in 10 because I had a previous guest who went really, really long on one single question and kind of changed. Maybe that was the best part of the whole show. It just wasn't. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It objectively was not. Okay. When and why did you move to San Antonio? Uh, 1993. At the time, SBC, which became AT&T, relocated to San Antonio. My dad worked for him, so we moved from St. Louis. He was a pilot, right? He was, yeah. He was a pilot, since retired, uh, but that brought us here. Have you lived here straight since? You went to UT, right? Went to UT, um, moved back after that. So, yeah, with that, with the exception of UT, been here the whole time. And what parts of town have you lived in? You've lived in the 09 area since yep. I've known you. Yeah, so lived there now. Um, was up in Stone Oak from kind of that 93 on okay. to going to UT uh, was back it? when there was nothing. I was about to say more country there. back then. Yeah, I think the I remember the... The last stoplight was maybe like 281 in Brook Hollow, and maybe oh. there was a stop sign at 281 and 1604 and then on. Okay. So, yeah, it's it's a lot different. Were so, you outside 1604 then? Outside 1604. Okay. Yep, kind of Stone Oak and Hebner. Um, back oh, when okay. there was, I remember there was a gas station there. I remember when that was built. Was it a gated community? It was a gated community. Because it's only gated communities. I think that's there. your only choice, right? I don't understand it, though. Like, you're, you're already in safety. Stone Oak. You need safety, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't live in a gated community now, and I feel perfectly safe. So. I have a gate on my driveway. Does that make me a gated community? You're more gated than most people. So, <laughs> All right. Um, this is kind of a amorphous question now or changed question because of what's going on. And you also have a – you're a faster. Yes. Um, is there any restaurants y'all have been frequenting or getting to go since all of this has started? Well, so maybe you talk about before it started. So my last, my, my last favorite restaurant before this started was the Magpie. Uh, oh, yeah. Hackberry Market. I still haven't been. Yeah, so we, my wife and I ate there, I think, the week, right, or day, within days of the shutdown because we had the hand sanitizer out, but it wasn't going to stop it's us. It's Asian food, right? Yeah, it's Korean influence. Okay. And it was it was exceptional. Like, it's, they're still it. doing to-go, right? They were doing to-go. I don't know. I didn't. I haven't done to-go with them, uh, but we've done lots of to-go and carry-out. Have you done Sichuan House? Uh, no. Dude, no. do it. Yeah. It's good. it's the best Chinese food yeah, I've eaten Yeah, we were... Town. We were going to go there, and then, you know, it was like uh, too, They'll too deliver. late, too far. Yeah. They'll deliver. We, yeah. We'd like to pick up. Now we're going out. Well, we're, pick up. It's behind Ingram Park Mall. Yeah. Mall. But they'll deliver to my house, yeah. so maybe yours. Yeah, we'll have to try it. Yeah. yeah. Did a lot of takeout, though. Uh, Barbaro. 
I uh, did a lot of Barbaro, got a lot of wine from Little Death. And okay. Some, uh, we did Subor yesterday. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So tried to do our Lots best of people to at the bar, no masks. Yeah. It's a little uh, disconcerting. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, got to gotta ask the question this, these days. I think you're the only time I've ever been to Big Lou's, by the way. I think that was the only time yeah. I've ever been to Big Lou's. I didn't feel great after that. You remember the place uh, up by Bandera uh, <laughs> town, not the, not the street? Uh-huh. What was that place called? Mac and Ernie's. Yeah. yeah. So we, uh, a couple of weeks ago, ended up driving by. Really? It's still, it's still there, although I couldn't tell if it moved across the, the highway. So last time I drove by it, it was a much bigger con- yeah, concern. Yeah, it was a bigger building. It, was, yeah. it wasn't the tiny little place, but yeah. that was that was probably close to that 10-year mark. We thought we were real hip doing little road trips to we eat, were really eat hip. restaurants yeah, we saw on TV. we were really hip then. Or <laughs> it was cool. So Little Death also did an event where they served a Italian style of tripe with the chef from Feast. I saw that, yeah. I went. How was it? It's pretty funky. The yeah. food was funky. Yeah. And everybody... The tripe had, is funky, right? Yes. The, everybody had been having a very good time by the time I show up, and, and, and I was very behind. Well, the wine's not very expensive there, so it's easy to have a good time. Yeah, and it was so just... So I'm told. It was like a pot of food, and yeah. you just like served yourself. Yeah. Well, I've been uh, been impressed with what they're doing during the, the shutdown, so... Congrats to them. Are you getting wine to go there? Yes. Okay. Yep. I haven't done that yet. Yeah. Okay. I have, and I've uh, meticulously cataloged it with the idea I'm going to go buy it again, but I probably Well, maybe you'll, maybe you'll invite me over to have a glass of wine because you tell me every time I see you that that's going to happen, and, and it never, ever, ever yeah. Some happens. people might be really insulted by that. I'm not. You just take it in stride. Yeah. So. No, I'm not. Yeah. There's lots of people that see me, and they're like, we should hang out. And then clearly they look at their wife or significant other and they're like, we're not calling that yeah, guy. Yeah, I actually, I actually mean it. Um, <laughs> may not show it, but I do mean it. All right, favorite hidden gems in San Antonio, where you tell people when they come to San Antonio, okay, you've seen the Alamo, blah, blah, but go check out this well, stuff. Well, it's hard to call it a hidden gem, but I, I really go for the, the mission reach on San Antonio. I think River. that's fair. Um, and probably more people from out of town see it than people who live here. So I think I end up yeah. talking about that hidden gem a lot. Cycle. They extended it four miles, yep. I think. Yep. Yeah, cycle on that a lot. I forget which road it goes down to. And then the golf course across the street, you can actually keep going after that oh, yeah. down to Medina River. And I think it's amazing. I mean, you've got nature, you've got history, you're outside. Uh, you can kind of wander off, obviously, up to all the missions. And the fact that more people here – uh, haven't ever done it, right. much less do it regularly like I do, is, is surprising. How often do you do it? Uh, probably once a week at minimum. No joke? Uh, yeah, I'm really cycling a lot there. And then the, the Greenway Trails. Um, Who are you riding Salado with? Salado Creek, myself. Uh, huh. what, do you, what kind of bike? I have a couple of Trek bikes. I mean, are you clipping in and yep. road biking yep. the, the yep. trail? Okay. I didn't start that way, but I, I do now. It's very aggressive for that trail, I think. I mean, are people just like horrified as you like uh, head towards them? No, most I have a bell. I okay. call out. I try to be a good. Uh, I'd like to go good, ride it with you. I'll do it with. I you. mean, I can't keep up with you probably. Well, we'll do it a few times. You'll be able to. You're very aerodynamic these days. These days, yeah, <laughs> I can get you in fighting shape. But I ride yeah, on we'll a trainer every morning. No, then you're. I clip in. Then you're good. Yeah, I'll do it. It's anytime. still hard for me to unclip even from the trainer. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did hear the pearl one time as a hidden gem, and I and I wanted to like gong him on that, yeah. but I let it go. No, it's not. A, I wouldn't call that a hidden gem. Okay. Are you still involved with the witty? Uh, no, I rolled off the board at the witty. Uh, still very much a fan of the witty, actually helping now with the game dinner. Okay. So you've been to the game dinner. It's probably one of the best events in San Antonio. 50th anniversary this year. Wow. October 19th, I think. Uh, tough year, but it's going to be a really big event. Some changes for uh, 
you know, the COVID situation. Um, is it but, planning on moving forward? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. At the witty, at the witty, uh, fewer people, you know, it, okay. it got to be a really big event. I think yeah. 1500 people maybe. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit smaller, um, which means ticket prices up, ticket prices up as it should be. And, uh, um, is XBEL sponsoring? Yeah, we will. Okay. Yeah, for sure. And, and we're actively, you know, looking for people to want tables and sponsorships. How much now. are tables? Uh, they range, um, I think from uh, to yeah, five. I mean, not 000, the top. Normally ones. five thousand, ten thousand. I think we maybe gone up a little bit uh, this year, but it's a uh, it's absolutely one of the best events in town. It's great. If, if anyone who hasn't done it, you know, make it this year to do it. Um, it's it's unique. It's not it's not your typical you know seated dinner event in the ballroom no. somewhere. It's far from. That's it. absolutely and right. It's, uh, it's really 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 nice. Um, are you on the board of any other nonprofits? No, not currently. I, uh, taking a break. Well, I've really been focused on two things. One, the company has really, uh, been really focused on that with some of the things we've done the past two years and then trying to find the right fit for a nonprofit. You know, you realize that, you know, the nonprofits need different things Mm -hmm. and how does that really fit with what I'm good at and what I want to do? Right. You know, so what you're passionate about. Well, yeah. And I think some of the smaller ones, you know, they need, they need, people that are more operationally focused, that they don't have big staff, you know, they just literally need help with the day to day. And then some need more help, you know, raising money or networking. And, and, you know, I, I look at, you know, what I think our company should be able to do. And over time, we should be able to support uh, nonprofits and other groups in a, in a really meaningful way. And so, and I look at that and say, that really plays to my strengths. Um, So really focused on that, but I'm going to get more involved if I find the right fit, I think is, is the plan. There's one in town called Restore Education that Lindsay worked for, and they are a GED program, um, all free. Um, it's the only one that has Spanish language GED. They have job training. You can get CNA. It's a lot of things, kind of yeah. like how Eric Cooper talked about how they've spread out. But I told them, I said, you, if you get donors to your graduation, people are giving you money. I mean, right. it's such a touching – I mean, the, you've got 40, 50-year-old people walking the stage with their family yep. there, the same as if they were 18, and it's just so touching. Yep. and. I think that's the hard thing for a nonprofit to do is make that connection with people right. like that. Well, yeah, and I think that's where, you know, good board members and others can help do that, yeah. can help spread the message. And there's so many good nonprofits and so much need always, like like you talked about with the food bank, that you do get lost in the noise a little bit. Yeah. And trying to get people to help help bring them out of that I think is important. Um, do you have any in the hopper right now you're thinking about? You don't uh, have to tell me, but are there some I, I you're do, vetting yeah, and are vetting yeah. you? I'm, I'm okay. th- thinking about. I mean, I want to. I want to be able to contribute. You know, I, I uh, and I want a place that recognize that wants the kind of contribution that I can do. Sure. Um, Everybody wants I, money, but it's better to feel like you're more than that to a board. Well, right, and yeah. I think my my contribution to the board is is more than that, and and then I need to work hard to make sure our company can support all the communities that we're in. Sure. You know, and both are important and maybe best suited for how I can contribute. Right. Um, you recently got to ring the bell on the NASDAQ. Yep. Was there any Wizard of Wa- Wizard of Oz kind of behind the curtain to that that you were like, oh, this isn't what I expected? Well, it's uh, it was an amazing experience. I think for me, it was it, it makes you think about all of the assumptions that you make when you look at people doing things, right? Yeah. You'd look at somebody who rings the bell on the NASDAQ, and what do you think? You know, you must think they're smart or they're rich or they're special or they're this or they're that. And then you're there, the, the guy doing it. And I'm kind of, like, looking around, like, just the guy. Yeah, heady. Um, they, did a, they did a great job. You know, you're in a very, very small room. Uh, it's super well-produced, super well-organized. Uh, we brought a, a big group uh, from our team. And what we did, really, that I think a lot of companies didn't do is really went by – 
tenure with the company. So okay. we brought the, really, I would say almost ex- exclusively or to, to a point, the people that had been with us the longest time. Mm. So that was a really, really cool experience. And I loved, loved doing it. You You're know, in a room, but then do, do they shuffle you onto the balcony or what the heck? Well, no. So you're in the Nasdaq's like the uh, market site. So it's a studio in Times Square. You're thinking maybe NYSE. They've yeah. got the the outdoor the. But the it's like a balcony bucket. kind of look. Isn't no, it? no. Okay. It's a, you got a, There's a table with a big you know screen. Okay. Because you know, Nasdaq's all digital, right? There's no yeah. trading floor. Um, so, you know, it's very, it's a, a very impressive, I mean, they did an amazing job and an impressive studio. I saw it. I just, in my mind, put you on a balcony. Maybe well, with, yeah. maybe with long flowing hair too. That yeah. I, your, I, I don't know what else you might've crawl done up. <laughs> yeah. I've yeah. made this all up it in was, my brain. Yeah. All right. I hope um, a lot of people looked at it and thought it was better than they thought too. So, so you were also recently on the San Antonio business journals podcast, even though I asked first, why? I, was that the order of I events? Um, it may. I have listened been. to it today. Very different format. Very different format. Yeah, different different audience. You I sounded guess, like Harvard purpose. Business Journal in a podcast guest. So it was, it was well, very. I assume, I'll take that as a compliment. It was dense. Um, you know, maybe now people will see that if they thought I was smart there, I'm not that smart. So no, I think people are going to good editing. I was listening, thinking, "Oh shit, he's a lot smarter than I thought he was." Yeah. Or he's really into the business well, that's, stuff. That's because I haven't had you over in a while. <laughs> you don't remember who I am. <laughs> maybe that's why you haven't. Uh, had me no, over but that now. was it. There was a business of the year uh, nomination from Business Journal, which we really appreciated. And then uh, the Texas Business Journal started a podcast, and I think. Uh, we were the first or second, San Antonio's okay. first or second episode in that. They didn't really line it out why you were on there. And then it kind of, it, it's kind of wonky. It, it replays well, a portion in the second half. Yeah, in fairness, I didn't listen to it, mainly because, well, that's <laughs> not, that speaks no disrespect to the podcast. I don't think I'll listen to this one either. It's just, you know, who likes to listen to I don't think anybody talk? listens maybe to you these. Like, maybe you like to listen to yourself talk if you're doing a podcast. But for me, it's a, it's a very painful thing to do. I've got a few fans that... Listen to all of them almost religiously and give me pointers. Okay. Uh huh. One of the pointers was, I kid you not, quit sounding like you know everything. <laughs> well, you're a, you're a podcast. I thought host. in my general life, I, I, I get that, but yeah. on this, it's usually everybody. I don't else. know. I, I think of you as a guy who asks a lot of questions, so I, yeah, I, don't, I, do. I don't get that vibe from you. Yeah, thank you. Favorite fiesta event? Uh, my favorite fiesta event is Niosa. Uh, okay. And why? Well, exactly. Of all people, so, you don't like big crowds. Well, I, I like, I like Niosa for all the reasons that I think people don't, you know, it's uh, Do you crowded. go yearly? No, I, I'll get to that. It's crowded. <laughs> uh, it's hot. You know, people don't like that. The beer cups are too small. Mm-hmm. People don't like that. But to me, that that's what made it fun. Now, the downside to that is I haven't been in probably uh, seven years because I can't find <laughs> anyone to go with me. <laughs> But that doesn't change the fact that it's my favorite. So it's your favorite because of all of the inconveniences. Yeah, a little bit of suffering. You okay, know? what would be your second favorite then? No, no, it's my favorite. Is there a second favorite? Well, I like I like what is an event you find yourself going to every well, year? Well, we go we go to a lot of the parades. That's like family friendly okay. now and sort of fits with the current you have kids. Uh, lifestyle, okay. right? Um, but I've gone to pretty much all the events. You go to King William yeah, yearly? Yeah, like King William. Yearly? Yeah. Um, yeah, probably every other year, maybe. Art fair? Yeah. I think art, yeah. art, art fair is my favorite. Yeah, I've heard yeah. you say that. Yeah. I, I, I have no problem with it. Yeah. I King like William it. is sort of the ongoing favorite among guests. Yes. Yeah. And it's an easy thing to like. Yeah. So I guess uh, Niosa... Whenever the next fiesta happens, you'll be coming with I'd me. consider a 5 o'clock Tuesday that's all drop I'm, by. That's all I'm yeah. after. Uh-huh. Yeah. A friend of mine's parents have a booth, and it is just 
BS. I mean, it is a, they've yeah. had the booth for 40 years. Yeah. They, what they sell, I can't even say because it would say who they are, but it's just made up. It's crap. They yeah. sell nothing, but it allows them to bring in their own drinks. Well, and it's a very, yeah, it's a redeeming thing. Yeah. Anyway. Um, favorite thing about living in San Antonio? Um, I, I like San Antonio that it's uh, laid back. Um, I like that you can get around easy. Um, and I like that it's hot and sunny most of the time. Not a lot of hassle to the city. Not a lot of hassle. No. And I think a lot of people, you know, we've moved a lot of people to San Antonio yeah. um, through the company. And that's pretty much the, you know, the feedback that you get. Okay. Yeah. Not a lot of people are like this, nothing to do here or whatever. No, I've never really understood that. I mean, that, that would be an off, you know, repeated thing that you used to hear nothing to do. And it's like, but there's, there's more things to do than I have time to do. It's yeah, like, right. How can you not find something to do? And what would you do? Uh, you know, if you want to spend every waking moment in a, at a, you know, major league baseball game, I, I guess you're out of luck. I but. get if you brought them in from like Colorado or Idaho, where there's like all this outdoorsy year. Yeah, but I mean, you know, but, I, I spend a lot of time outdoors, you know, you, you're not you can, skiing or hiking a whole lot. No, but yeah. you know, you can, you can ride a bike. There are places to go for the I day. I didn't know you started riding. Yeah. How I mean, there's plenty, there's plenty to do. How many bikes you got? Uh, two. Okay. Yeah. You said you had a few. I got on an electric bike recently. Yo, that's cheating. I think it's, I think it still counts. Are you commuting on that from your Josh, house? Josh Fogelman just made me buy it. Yeah. That's, I mean, he kind of forced it upon cheating. me. That's cheating, yeah. I haven't ridden it once. Yeah, I saw the uh, in the Trek catalog, it was about the electric bikes and reducing your carbon footprint. Uh-huh. I'm thinking, well, a non-electric bike probably does that even better, right? True, but, you know, some people want the help. Yeah. So I want to transition here. You, um, in the last 11 years, you've sort of become a turnaround artist for your own business, at least. Um, you've been heavily involved in, uh, it seems like, all business aspects of that company because when you took it over, all aspects needed help and all aspects needed some uh, guidance. What do you think, from a business standpoint, is the biggest challenge for San Antonio moving forward into becoming one of those cities um, that we want to be one yeah. of those cities with higher paying, you know, upper middle class jobs. Right. Well, I think you need people that will create those jobs and that will invest in San Antonio. I mean, we're here. Uh, we're bought into San Antonio. We're committed to San Antonio as a company. Um, you look at even my personal experience. So it was the company relocating to San Antonio that that brought me here. Yeah. That's why I'm here. Then that company as AT&T subsequently left, right? And so, you know, it's like, well, do you, you want to complain about the leaving? Because you benefited from the coming, sure. right? So I think that, you know, we need, to, we need to support businesses that are doing interesting things and creative things and make sure it's a good place to run a business. And I think the more of those businesses there are, you know, we, we as a business have every incentive to create jobs. Yeah. Because um, we want to grow, number one, right? And I think people sort of underestimate that. Like I, I, you know, if I could have uh, 10,000 employees in San Antonio tomorrow, I would because uh, that would mean we need them. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that the, the quality of life uh, focus, I think the city's done a pretty good job on that. I look at the, just like we were talking about the investments in the mission reach or the greenway trails. I mean, these are real quality of life things that have improved in a meaningful way that didn't exist before. And didn't I exist at all when I moved here. Didn't exist at all. Yeah. And, and, you know, even I remember um, when I moved back after college from Austin, it's like you'd go you know, ride a bike or run around Town Lake and Austin was yeah. known for that. And there was nothing comparable here. 
And in the time since, that's that's completely changed. And that was 04, right? Yeah, that was 04. We didn't mention the San Antonio River Authority's beautiful building they built on that build on that reach, right? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's, it's something. Yeah, you yeah. see it, and yeah. you, that's different. Yeah. That's great. I mean, if that whole mission, which definitely it's going to become that, but when it does, I mean, it's going to be a totally different. It's going to be a game changer yeah. for the city, I think. Yeah, but I think those things are important. I think that the uh, the development along Broadway has been important because it's sort of. It, it you get a concentration of development and yeah. something that you know people can see when they come in from out of town. It's a place to go or a destination that maybe we didn't have before. And I think the you know downtown for a long time just being relegated to tourists, rightly or wrongly, you know probably wrongly in many ways, that was sort of a, a negative to that type of development. So and that's a so I want to stick back to my question real quick because I want to see what your sort of thoughts are on that. I mean, look, I don't have any friends that are as really immersed in the business community in San Antonio like you are. And you hear things. So, for example, Randall Stevenson of AT&T, when he moved to Dallas, he made this big hay. And, I mean, he, he's there weren't enough direct international flights was one of his complaints. He even brought up that we didn't have good enough museums in San Antonio. Oh, yeah. You also hear educated workforce, which that does kind of ring a bell with me. Sure. What are some of those things that you think if, if the city focused on these – few things, we'd be able to attract those higher paying jobs into our communities. Well, I think the the workforce development is an interesting one. Um, because on the one hand, I think we talk about higher paying jobs or attracting that. It's like, well, what are we what are we saying? Maybe we're saying two things. One, you know, we want the people that are, are born here, raised here, live here to develop skills and take those jobs, which I think everyone is saying. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, we're also saying we want to make San Antonio an attractive place for people with those skills to relocate yeah. to. I mean, I think we're, we're saying both. So when you look at the, the side on the, the relocation, it really is a lot of the quality of life issues. Um, and I think we've, we're doing a good job on that. And I think we need to see the city and the county continue to invest in that. You know, there's talk about, you know, for example, even the greenway trails and things. We redirect that, that money here or there, and there's limited, yeah. limited funds. And that's a real, real issue and a real question. But I think those are, those are big ones. And I do think that the workforce development is an important one. I mean, we, uh, but it's really, it's complicated. Um, and that's what I think people don't get is, yes, you have a skill development, but then, you know, you, you struggle with even basic things, you know, as you go down, uh, down the salary range and down the, the level of skill experience, you struggle with just uh, people holding a job, maintaining a job and in, in our facility transportation. Here, yeah, all, all of these things. And, and those, you know, it's frustrating. I mean, I think we, for some of our uh, uh, lower uh, entry level positions that, that aren't minimum wage, you know, these are, are 12, 13, $14 an hour to start. Yeah. You know, we've never, we're never a hundred percent full because yeah. you're always churning through people. And that's incredibly frustrating. And, so that's not so much a skills gap there as it is things that are just more complex to deal with. Yeah. Uh, and I think the skills gap happens happens later. So, and, and I've always kind of wondered, some of these cities you've seen that have had this huge boom in technology or some of these upper middle class jobs are also cities that have had lots of investment in research and a lot of times government. So I'm hopeful that the new focus in San Antonio on cyber yeah. security, which is going to be a lot sure. of government money, will also bring that to kind of create a cottage industry of businesses, yeah. which will have those higher yeah. paying jobs. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I think, you know, the, the San Antonio Economic Development Foundation, they've spent more time on business retention, trying to focus on what are the needs of the businesses that are already here. And I, and I think that's important. Um, 
But at the same time, I look at it as our business is the, the reason we're headquartered in San Antonio today is because we're here, we started here, and because I still want it here, you know? <laughs> and that sounds flippant. I mean, that's the Randall Stevenson argument with AT&T. Yeah. All those other excuses are just that. I mean, they're just... I think just moving bullshit, it right? is flippant, though, right? Like, moving it for reasons such as museums and things like that upends the lives of so many people staying oh, here isn't yeah flipping. oh and arguably it's it's it, you know it's it's there's no return for your shareholders to do that either yeah, that's i mean right. that's just it was a massive it was a massive cost you know you'll you'll see locally everyone boohoo's the airport and the and the flight status but you know i'm kind of an aviation enthusiast and when you look at other similar size metros you look at the the number of passenger traffic that different metros generate with the same population, yeah. some a lot lower. And our service <coughs> is not bad from that standpoint. And you travel a lot, I too. I travel a lot. And, you know, one of the things that San Antonio is great, certainly from where I live and where a lot of people live, is it's so easy to get to the airport. You're in and out. Yeah. You know, I mean, for those that have traveled, it's like you live in Denver. You want to go to that airport, mm -hmm. you know, once a week? Or live in downtown Houston and yeah, you drive over an hour. Absolutely yeah. not. And so... I don't, I don't really um, believe any of that talk. And I think it's a real simple supply and demand. If you want uh, more flights, you need more people that will fly. Sure. And that means make yourself a better <clears throat> tourist destination, make yourself a better business uh, destination, improve the, the economics of the, the, improve the livelihood of the people that live here and they'll travel more on vacation. And then the air service development and all the other pieces play a much smaller role. Sure. Um, but, you know, we, one of the things we do in San Antonio for our, for our products is we do training. And we have people in San Antonio who fly in for training, uh, you know, every week of the year, certainly pre-COVID. Yeah. And, but they come from all over the country and all over the world. And, you know, no one ever says, you know, I'm not going to get trained on your product because you're in San Antonio and you're not in Dallas or something. It just I have one happen. more jump on a flight. It's, it, yeah. it just, it yeah. just, you know, yeah, more is better. And certainly the other thing I think people forget about is that the, the services, the air services developed a lot over the past few years, yeah. even in recent time, a lot of really good success there. So I'm not nearly as uh, uh, negative about that. I, I think you've got to focus on who can, how can you help the people that want to uh, start companies in San Antonio, want to scale their company uh, because those are the people that are already uh, vested here. And, you know, you look at it now with uh, the COVID, with remote work, you know, is the idea of trying to get these corporate headquarter relocations and things that are always talked about, is that really the model going forward? No, I, I think maybe, you know, make San Antonio a place people want to live. And, you know, if you're the remote uh, worker for Twitter in San Francisco now who can work remotely going forward, and you say maybe I don't want to maybe I don't want to live in such a high right. cost area. You know, if if San Antonio is a good place to live, good quality of life, good cost of living, you know, we're going to net attract those people who now have more mobility. And what we need there is just incredibly high speed internet available to everybody, and all right. of a sudden there's nothing holding it back. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think I think all of actually I think that macro trend now whatever happens is a net positive for places like San Antonio. Period. Do you think? that there will just be this complete collapse of commercial real estate? Uh, I, I, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I, I, can only, I can only give you my personal opinion. So, so I read an article that said that a lot of the technology companies before COVID were actually going back to working together. So yeah. the article's thesis, if you will, was basically whatever happens, technology companies had already decided that integrated 
you know, workplaces where they're working hand in hand yeah, was what they was wanted better. to do. Right. So it sort of said the people who were going to be coming back into the commercial real estate space, you know, they'll sort of make up for the others. Oh, right. Whether that stands to be true. Well, or I, not. Don't, I don't know. I mean, my personal experience is that um, prior to the, the shutdowns and shelter in place with COVID, you know, I was very much opposed to any type of remote work. Uh, and I think a lot of us were. Yeah. And we were forced into it. And, you know, throughout the first couple of weeks, it was sort of like, wow, this is working better than we thought. And I, I, I surely would say it worked better than I thought. Um, and really, I think that's continued. And so, you know, we've already made a couple remote hires um, that we wouldn't have made otherwise just during this time. I think, though, you know, the, that sentiment may have peaked a little bit. Right. And now we have more people on the team sort of missing the day-to-day interaction because we've kept our, really our HQ staff all remote. Um, so I think, you know, for us, I, I think it doesn't collapse our commercial office space need, but it might reduce it. Yeah. You, um, I know you've talked about real estate and, and your own offices, spaces and space needs. Um, Julian Castro had a big push between about moving people back downtown. Have y'all considered moving downtown? What do you think well, the so benefits the and drawbacks are? Well, so the funniest part about that is, uh, yeah, we we were very active on a building that was downtown that we were that was a redevelopment, and I thought it was awesome. I thought it was really cool. I really wanted to do it. Yeah, and we 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 took some different people on our team, in some of the younger people, some of the millennials. And the feedback was kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know if we really want to be downtown. It's kind of inconvenient. You know, we're sort of happy <laughs> where, where we are, which in our case was, you know, along 410 near 281. And I was really, I was really surprised by that feedback. Yeah. Um, I ex- I, not that I didn't expect that feedback from anyone, but I didn't expect it from the quote unquote millennials and, and what all this movement was. Was it more like a traditional office space too? Uh, no, it was a non-traditional. Okay. I thought it would have been. It was it a warehouse slash office? Yeah, like it would have been, been really cool. Okay, would have been really cool. So that that has me a little perplexed. Like I I was all for it and pretty much got the cold shoulder from the rest of our team, and so I don't I don't really know where that goes. Um, clearly, there's a lot of people that that do want to be downtown, yeah. or at least enough leaders to drive uh, businesses move down there and people that want to rent apartments, you know, going into downtown. So there's definitely a, a, a demand for it, but it just hadn't quite played out how I would have expected. Yeah. I mean, you look at Houston and at six o'clock, Houston is, you know, tumbleweeds. We have the tourism that keeps people there all the time. It'd be great to have the businesses that keeps people living there too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it couldn't be more night and day different. You know, people look at the Houston downtown and say, Oh, look at all the tall buildings. But I'll always remember going there for a wedding. And I think my wife was in the bridal party and I had nothing to do all day. And I said, Oh, I'll just walk out of the hotel and go get lunch on a Saturday afternoon. And this was probably seven, eight years ago. There's no place open, and it was dangerous. It was a ghost, ghost town. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you couldn't even you couldn't even eat. So, yeah, I think you know San Antonio certainly has an advantage that way. I think that trend. I think that trend continues. I don't know that my experience is representative of that, but it's pretty surprising. Houston's gotten a lot better, especially around the ballpark yeah. and all that. Yeah. But I, I think it's a. I think it's. I'm not going to say a failure, but it's an opportunity for San Antonio to start bringing businesses back downtown and. I mean, you got to think it only requires one big anchor. I right. mean, if yep. I mean Valero obviously isn't moving, but some business with that sort of oh, gravitas USA has a bigger presence. That huge downtown, now. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's I thought that was a really a really big move. And then 
you know, is there a way to even, even in the core of downtown, even in the, the Riverwalk area, you know, is there a way to make that even more appealing to locals? You know, you look yeah. at the mix of restaurants or, or what type of, you know, incentives and things could be done to do that. Because I think that there's still a little bit of that divide. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, I'll go downtown now. I'll stay in uh, Houston Street, but I'm not going down to the Riverwalk. It's like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Well, I've, uh, yeah. I mean, I had a bad experience downtown about a year ago. So, I mean, it's it still has its portions you don't want to go to, but the parts that are good are kind of good all the time. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I have a lot more friends now that are moving downtown, yeah. which maybe that's indicative of what's going to be happening down there eventually. Uh, part of what I wanted to talk to you about was sort of what you think was, see with San Antonio anyway. That's yeah. why we're going here. But you're the um, chairman and president and CEO of Expel. What, what is the difference between president and chairman and CEO? Well, so there's really not a lot of difference. Chairman's the, the board, right? Chairman's the board, okay. right? So the, the board, you know, needs to have a chairman who yeah. leads the board as a, as a, uh, a non-independent director because sure. I work for the company. Uh, president, I think, is, uh, is really the office that, that exists under Nevada law where we're incorporated. Oh, okay. And CEO is sort of a ceremonial title. Okay. Um, and you see some companies separate the two. I've never understood that. Yeah. still don't, and I uh, don't think we'll be doing that. All right. Um, Expel, how would you describe it? Uh, well, Expel, we make protective films, and the vast majority of our business today is automotive. Um, so our sort of core product is a paint protection film, goes on leading edge or really any painted surface of a vehicle and now inside to protect it from damage, rock chips, and damage to the paint. Now, that's, that's still the majority of our revenue. And then over time, we have more protective film products even outside um, automotive. We've got a antimicrobial film now, which people are putting on, you know, tablets and touchscreens and things like really? that. We've got uh, some commercial and residential window films uh, that are that are outside of automotive. Um, but that's that's really what sort of made us famous and is still a huge driver of growth for the company. When you say film, I have it on my truck. Yeah. It's almost like saran wrap you put on your car to protect the, the paint and keep right. damage from it. Yeah, the, the, the idea is real simple is that, you know, paint chips and uh, people buy a new car, they get rock chips on their paint, um, and that's a number one complaint with a new car. So uh, either the dealership or you buy in the aftermarket our product, it's a clear invisible film that's cut to be to the specific panels of your car, and that will protect it from damage from rock chips or anything else. So we deal a lot with uh, you know mom-and-pop businesses in the aftermarket, You know everybody you see on a street corner doing automotive accessories and things like that, and then we deal with dealerships who might sell the product. We deal with some OEMs you know, kind of at the factory level, but all that's, that's all around that concept. So last time I talked to you, the biggest kind of drivers of y'all, your business was selling the, the, the film, selling right. the software yep. and doing the training. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we make, we make all of our revenue really from selling the film. I okay. mean, that's the product that goes on the car. There's all sorts of things you need to have a business doing that. We've got a software that we generate a little bit of revenue from, but it's really designed to cut the film. Okay. So have patterns that cut the film to aid the application. The training, as I mentioned, you know, this is a this is a tech level skill. Yeah. So you talk about you know uh, workforce development, right? Sure. This is this is a a perfect example of something that's emerging that you know people could be trained to do. Um, and so training is very important. And then we do lots of marketing lead generation for our independent dealer network. But all of those things are kind of uh, all around the product itself, which is the film that we sell that people ultimately get on their cars. But for the most part, Expel is not the company that's putting the film on cars. No, we do a little bit. We've got nine locations where we actually okay. install it um, globally. 
but we've got thousands of independent uh, dealers of the product and dealerships who are the ones installing it. Okay, like if I go into a body shop, they've got a million different brands of a million different products, and Expel would be one of the products that they might be selling sure. and trained yeah. to handle. I mean, the, the the example people probably see see most often is you buy a new car at a dealership. Maybe the dealership is offering our product, saying, "Hey, do you want to you want to uh, protect the paint on the car?" And for those listening, you know, you need to seek out our product, which is a an actual film. You know, it's a real tangible product. Don't be taken by a lot of uh, waxes and other liquids that don't do a lot. Um, and then the dealership might install it with their own people, or they'll use our other customers in the aftermarket to do it, put it on your new car um, before you take possession of it. And y'all do installation in San Antonio? We do here. For yep. regular, any anybody? Yeah, we do retail and wholesale. Okay. And we've always, we've always wanted to be involved in the installation of the product because it really keeps our, our fingers on the pulse of the business. You know, that's what we're teaching people to do. That's what our customers do for a living. So it's an important part of our business for us. So if any of my listeners are listening, my own personal, not Ryan's advice is the price was very, very different between the dealership and what y'all quoted me. So um, maybe consider not the dealership. You know, Ryan would not yeah, condone anything like this. Yeah, I have, no, I have no advice on that. We love all of our customers. It is very different. Um, and mine's still on. I still have the same truck because I'm yep. cheap and um, yeah, works great. Yep. Still on. Let's talk a little bit about sort of what your role was with Expel. Whenever you and I met, I think you were an IT guy for well, Expel. Well, yeah, so, so the history of the company, it started in really in the late 90s, um, and it was going to be a software company. And we talked about you brought up the software and patterns. But the idea there is that you've got this film, and how do you get this big roll of film on the front of a car? So it was going to be a software company specifically related to specifically the film, related to okay. that. And it and it you know that's the the founders started it that way, and it it uh, it it got some traction, but it was clear nobody knew about the film. The film wasn't any good. There was no one to install the film. There was no market. So yeah. you'd solved one part of the uh, equation, but left the more important parts undone. So I. I ended up uh, doing work for the company before I became an employee, probably around 2000, I think 2005, I joined the company and it was going to be a software company. And so I was there to uh, run the development of that software. And I did, you know, did that for a number of years. And then, um, you know, different management changes, different, different changes happened over time. And the you know, company got a little traction, but, but not a whole lot. Yeah. And the, oh. the point was you were an IT guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to draw the conclusions, <laughs> not me. That's your job. You're like, I was an no. IT guy, I got well, some so, traction, so, then not. So I think then after you know, after a couple um, after a couple management changes, you know, then I moved into operations. Uh, the company grew, and and there was a uh, you know there was a point uh, a point in time where really the strategy of the company did shift, and it said we're not going to be just about the software; we need to be about the product, which is this paint protection film and everything that goes with it. Did you leave at one point? Yeah. So that that was around 2007. Okay. Which was, so that, that was, you know, fundamentally good strategy shift need to be about the product. Like we said, we make money selling the product. Um, but of course, then that was also 2007, 2008, which was a horrible time for the automotive business, horrible time for business in general. Yeah. There was some other management changes and, and inevitably I, I left in, um, the summer of 2008. Okay. And then, Ended up coming back to be the CEO in, in February 2009. So it was kind of a relatively small. If I recall, you'd work there. I mean, we, we were friends then. So you'd work there and then maybe you were a consultant. Yeah, yeah I was. A, and I stayed on as a consultant for the company. I okay. left to go do other things. And um, really, I think by 2009, 
you know, they were just desperate. They said, how could, <laughs> what, what kind of sucker can we find to do this? Yeah. Uh, the company was insolvent, um, had had a you know, series of losses, and you're coming, you're, you're just exiting the worst you know, economic cycle and the worst time for the car business in, in 20 years. So. Yeah, when you took over, of course, I have a, a neighbor who's becoming a CEO of a publicly traded company, and so I look into it, and it was trading at one or two cents yeah, a share. Yeah, yeah in, in and, Canada, that's right. And you were very candid about, we are broke. I mean, kind yeah. of sort of... Well, it was of, no secret. I yeah. mean, all you had to do was download the financials. You know, you see, I mean, we have, uh, uh, I think, some of the, the old public financials from then. I mean, we had, you know, $50,000 in cash and, a, you know, $300,000 or whatever it was. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was horrible. And I don't want to retrace the San Antonio Business Journal's uh, podcast steps, but basically one of the things I found interesting is you said that the CFO at the time or the controller, whatever you all call them, was... Managing cash flow on a day-to-day basis—that's how broke y'all were. Oh yeah, and we had we had vendors where we would ship product, we would we would wire money every day, uh, just piecemeal it out, just to keep things flowing. And but you know that's a that's a testament to just really hard work and stick to itiveness. Yeah, I mean you know it it at that time I mean so we that year we sold off part of the company, so maybe after we did that it was. Four million dollars in revenue, the company, and and we did one hundred and thirty million last year. So great, and you know, and that to me, I feel like we're just getting started today, yeah. almost as much as I did then, in terms of what's what the future has for us. Well, let's sort of talk about that. So you took over; the shares are barely trading. I couldn't even buy shares. I mean, that's how well, bad yeah, it so, was. Yeah, it was traded in Canada at the at the at the time on the TSX uh, Toronto Stock Exchange venture. Yeah, very difficult for anyone to buy here. Yeah. Yeah. You personally had to pay off a, a, a settlement, essentially, because y'all were getting sued because you weren't satisfying a sponsorship agreement. Yeah, no, our yeah our, our uh, CFO and uh, me, we would you know plop down a credit card and just float the company. Um, and and you look at that, you know, my, I remember my wife. I mean, she just thought I was just an idiot. Um, you shouldn't have to do that. And it's like, well, you know, you think this has promise. You can either let it go and flush sure. it down the toilet or you do what you have to do. I mean, now it seems like a pretty easy decision. Yeah. Um, but even at the time, I don't know that we fretted about it. We said this, we need to do it. And we knew enough to know that the trend was in the right direction and that more than likely you get paid back. You know, it was I'm, not that hard. To I mean, my firm revenue is definitely not $131 million. However, we do fine. And I've been interviewed about... Um, what are some of the things that that have helped you make it work? And I always say, look, it's a little bit of this, keep overhead low, and luck. Yeah. So what were the things that helped? I mean, y'all were in a hole. Was there this one or two things that really helped y'all get out of the hole? Um, no, I would say, you know, luck plays a part. Sure. I mean, we it plays a big part in all of it. And in spite of our missteps, we, we stepped into uh, a time where the product we were selling began to be uh, well-received. We, we ended up with some, some good product developments at the right time that let us take market share from others, even while the market was very small. So that was part luck, part uh, operation. And the economy started the to The economy turn. started to pick up. But I think, you know, everybody working there was, was, was humble and said, you know, there's no money to pay you more, pay you more. So you're either going to work for yeah. what you got and we build it or not. And I think you know, the, especially as a tiny, tiny public company like that, the, the MO is to go and always just raise more money, issue more shares, raise more money, and, and just dilute, 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 dilute. And we kind of looked at it as like, well, why would you do that? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Right. 
Um, but I think if you have a, a vision and a passion for where it can go, that's that's number one. Yeah. Uh, aside from being lucky, you talk to um, the Business Journal podcast about some sort of I don't remember what you called sort of key universal thoughts on how to have a successful business. What are some of those universals to you in terms of no matter what what your business is, what industry you're in, here's what you really need to focus on to be successful? Well, I think what we talked about there, which I still believe is cash flow. Okay. Know, people look at an income statement or profit and loss as the health of a business, but it's the, it's the cash flow. I agree. You, you can, you yeah. can uh, on, the, on the books, you can lose money, you can make money, but, and survive either way. But if you run out of cash and you lose and your cash flow is negative and negative, you, you will eventually go out of business. <laughs> and I think that that's uh, probably the, the most important thing for people to, to focus on, particularly if you're in a business that has inventory, has cost of goods. You know, we could, we could easily uh, put every dollar we generate back into more inventory, and then that's cash you don't have. Yeah. And a lot of businesses could. And a lot of them are even, it's even harder for them to deal with than us. So I think that's number one. Um, I think, you know, our team's been uh, uh, humble, and I think that that's been a really uh, big driver of our core values. And I think the fact that we were a public company, even in those early days, actually helped do it. Because it wasn't, it, I was the CEO then. I was just like, I'm the CEO now. Yeah. But it's not, it's not my company. I'm just the current steward of it. Yeah. And I think that when you look at businesses, really small ones or even bigger ones and you've got an owner and you say, Hey, yeah, we, uh, we talked to the, talk to the boss. We've got, uh, uh, we got that big marketing budget increase next year plant. Yeah. Oh, a week later, boss comes back and says, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Oh, you got it. But you know, got to do what we do and move on. Well, then the boss shows up with the new truck and a new boat and he said, Oh, okay. You know, it, it's his company. Right. Yeah. Um, but he just decided to put the money here instead of reinvest it. Well, we never had that problem. I mean, we, we, we have to grow, right. had to grow, have to reinvest the profits to grow. And I think that's been good for the culture. And, you know, people talk back to your earlier conversations about San Antonio, about uh, relocating or, you know, we had no problem getting people to move to San Antonio. You hear people talk about challenges in doing that. But I think it's because it, they had a, a cause and an organization and something to be passionate about. Yeah. Like it, certain people who that was of interest to, it really spoke to him. So I go work for that company and do and work in that field. Awesome. Do you think it's been helpful being a publicly traded company that your financials are public data that your employees can look? And when you say, hey, guys, we're having a problem, they can look and see the financials. Yeah, without question. That. Without yeah. question. Uh, and I think, you know, and then you talk about the, going back to the cash flow you know, to have a conversation with someone that says, you know, hey, in this month, you know, yeah, we made this profit, but, you know, our cash flow was negative. And it, and it blows people's mind. It's like, well, we bought, you know, bought fixed assets. We bought inventory. We didn't collect our receivables. We had to pay, you know, you know, vendors or whatever it was. You know, that's been really a helpful thing. So I, I think all of that, I didn't used to think of it that way, but I think it's been incredibly positive, actually. You discussed in the podcast um, how once y'all were traded on the NASDAQ, your share price doubled or something, yeah. something very significant. Is that because the NASDAQ provides y'all a certain level of credibility, or is it because you're now being purchased by large institutional investors? Well, I think it's, I think it's multiple things. Okay. I mean, first and foremost, we've continued to have really good uh, financial performance. Sure. We've just done a good job. And so we saw the benefit of that even before we moved from Canada to the NASDAQ. 
Um, the, the second piece, though, to your point, when you tried to buy the stock 10 years ago, is incredibly hard for people to purchase in the U.S. Yeah. And, you know, Canada is 30 million people. The U.S. is 350 million. And you've got all of the uh, institutional capital in the U.S. And many of them couldn't go to Canada to buy something if they wanted by regulation or, or by, you know, decree or how they operate the fund. So you've opened yourself up to a, a tremendous uh, pool of potential buyers. And then I think the third thing is there is a, a, a credibility stamp from being on the NASDAQ uh, yeah. that you just didn't have in, in Canada and don't have in Canada. And I literally have no idea what I'm talking about, but I've heard it enough. There, My understanding is there are certain big institutional investors, hedge funds, retirement funds that will buy blocks of NASDAQ uh, sure. stocks. Yeah. Y'all are now part of the NASDAQ. Yeah. Is that driving some amount of the share price going up? Is that just well, meaning your stock yeah, is traded so I more? Think, well, I think there's two things. Yeah, I, I think there is a, a factor there. What was really unusual about us, you can go look this up about any public company and see, you know, what percentage of the shares outstanding are owned by institutions, you know, funds. That's of, publicly available? Publicly available uh, of any type. Well, when, when we first moved to the U.S. and we're an SEC filer, I mean, I think we were in a, a single digit uh, percentage owned by institutions. Okay. Part of that is we have really high insider ownership, you know, management, other people on our board, but that that's a tiny, tiny number. I mean, if you saw that number at 50% or 60%, you know, that you would, that would not be surprising. Yeah. So we've seen that steadily pick up uh, over time. So that's a driver that, you know, we'll, we should be included in, in some of the uh, small cap indexes and things going forward. And then if you buy that index through your Vanguard account or something, yeah. you know, they, they've got to allocate and buy so much of our shares. But I think it's it's the visibility, it's the size of the market being in the U.S. versus Canada. And then I think, um, you know, hopefully performance and doing a good job. Sure. Is there any limitation on how much ownership can own? No. Okay. So there's no conflict of interest when it comes to that? Well, one would say it's the opposite of a conflict of interest. You know, if, if I own shares in the company that I that I bought, which I do, versus that I was, say, given by the company, you know, I'm pretty aligned with the shareholder on the street. Okay. And so generally it's uh, viewed very favorably. Have there been any takeover attempts by, you know, you know, certain people in San Antonio like to try to take over companies like Cracker Barrel? Has that happened to no. Uh, no, that hasn't to Expel yet? That hasn't happened. All right. Um, what are y'all planning f moving forward? What, what sort of industries do y'all want to branch out to? Do y'all want to just stay with your core competency of film or do you want to move film into different applications? Well, we're really, we're really focused on, on film okay. and really, you know, we're, we're always torn because the, the market that we're in, the core market we started in, which is the automotive paint protection film is, is, is still in its infancy. And so you really want to focus on, I mean, we, we would say, you know, maybe 7% of vehicles in the U.S. have film on it okay, uh, through us or our competitors. But that could be a little bit of film or a lot, you know, there's the, the, the dollar content could vary. So we want to see that grow. At the same time, we have all of these other applications for the protection films, for the window films outside of automotive. And, you know, that's really part of our long-term vision is to be about, you know, protection and personalization really across verticals. Yeah. But doing that, and I think we've done a pretty good job doing that in a measured way because we don't want to see the, the, the core opportunity, which we really single-handedly created this market, yeah. um, go away. And, you know, it's a global opportunity. We're, we're focused. We've got operations and our own people in uh, nine countries. 
And, you know, we, we want to be set up in more to really take our message, take our service, our value proposition in country. Um, that's something that is hard to do, but we're good at it, and it is a huge game changer if you can really manage your, your channel like that. Is there, is there any way for you all to quantify how your market share has changed over the last five or ten years? It's really hard. I mean, we, yeah. we have some, some guesses, but there's no good kind of third-party data, so they're not, not really worth a whole lot. Um, I mean, it, it, over a longer period of time, we went from very little market share to being you know, the leader, if not the leader in the space. But okay. within any kind of range, it's a lot harder to say. Is anybody in with the manufacturers at a factory level to provide this service? Yeah, there's some of that done. We do we do some of that um, through our operation in, in Europe. Is it public which manufacturers? No, no it's not. Okay. Um, but, you know, these could be, there's, there's what people don't realize is there's, there's factory pieces of the film like this on almost every car. Huh. Uh, if you look at your uh, little dog leg piece behind a rear wheel, super high wear area. Yeah. But, you know, that's a tiny, maybe half a square foot piece of okay. film where we're really in the business of selling you know, a hundred square feet of film for the full front end of the car. Yeah. Um, But then the other thing that we know will continue to develop is uh, OEMs who see the manufacturers who see value in this product in wanting to offer that as either a factory installed option or an option installed post the factory, but prior to delivery. So we're involved in some of those projects and they're, they're really interesting and there'll be more of those, but it'll always be a good balance in the space overall. I mean, y'all are big on your brand and Expel, Whenever I was at the dealership, it, it was very clear yep. which product you were going to get. D- why would that not be a push with with the manufacturers that are using y'all at an OEM well, level? Yeah, well, we're really proud of our brand, and I think that's a big a big part of our success. And certainly in the automotive enthusiasts, you know, we're well we're well known. Sure. People in the space yeah. know our brand. Uh, maybe the only people that like their brand more than we like our brand would be the likes of all <laughs> car the big, makers. Uh, car makers. So they're not, they're not really enthused on diluting their brand with the addition of ours, even if we're providing them a good product and a very valuable service. I mean, a Bentley has a Breitling clock in it. You don't think y'all are Breitling well, we level just yet? We may not be at that yet? level yet. Okay. Um, although you look at some of the positioning of Expel in China and it might make you think we're closer to that than you think. So, uh, China, every time I've talked to you, has been a huge market for you guys. Yeah. Is it still just a continuously large growth market or yeah, it, sort of plateauing well, there? Well, no, it's, it's been a big, a big part of our overall revenue, and it's grown you know, over, over the past several years. Um, I think the, you know, the car market in China is really big. Yeah. People don't realize how big it is. It's bigger than the U.S. There's a lot of press about how the China car market's been off. Yeah. Really, well. it was off um, until uh, COVID. Now, post-COVID, they've seen year-over-year growth. Huh. Um, but they, that wait post COVID they've seen year over year growth. Yeah, so growth over last year, right? So oh, okay. April, May, About they've month, seen yeah. growth. Yeah. And they, they hadn't had growth for like 21 months or something. Is that right? Yeah. So, which is kind of an interesting phenomenon, but the, 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 the market in China is really big. And part of that is it's a big market to begin with. There's, you know, environmental and cultural reasons why our products do really well there. And so, yeah, we've been, it's been as high as 30% of our sales wow. in uh, a particular quarter. Uh, it bounces around based on whatever else is happening, but a big market for us. Within a sub-community or within a country or within a culture, Expel has to be a status thing for some people, right? Yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're, we are the premium product in the space. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the market that we take that message to is really the enthusiasts, yeah. right? And people think of the enthusiasts, as you said, the guy buying the Bentley. And yeah, there are enthusiasts there, but really they're enthusiasts across price, 
price points. Y'all are real you know, there's involved. more BMW enthusiasts than there are Mercedes enthusiasts, sure. even at the same price point. Y'all are real involved in San Antonio uh, coffees and cars or something. Yeah, we're the we're we're really run that now and the lead sponsor. Um, we do that here. But I didn't even know what that was. That's car enthusiasts who get together on like a Sunday morning and show yeah, off their cars, the cars, right? The idea is real simple and it exists all over the country is yeah, get together, uh, line up your cars in a parking lot, go around, look at them, talk to people, meet people, drink a cup of coffee. Um, and that is, you know, a just a, a core demographic. So if you would do that, right, you would buy our product. And I looked at pictures. It's not all you know, ultra premium cars. I no, mean, there's well, that's, GTRs and, and, yeah, well, and, that, and that's BMWs. what people don't really understand about the, the, the car business is there are, you know, there are Toyota enthusiasts. There are yeah. Subaru enthusiasts. The Subaru crowd is crazy. Right. Yeah. You, you don't, you don't need to buy you, the enthusiast doesn't start at a certain price. Point. Yeah. You know, there are maybe an overabundance at higher price points, but it doesn't start there. Do you remember uh, the Fiero enthusiast world. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, I, yeah. You would see Fieros that were all yeah. tricked out and then you'd drive by the mall sometime. There'd yeah. be 30 Fieros yeah. out there. Mazda Miatas had yeah. their world of enthusiasts yeah. too. Right. Yeah, a lot of people don't get that. What do you, what do you see for Expel over the next 10 years? Well, I think we're going to, we're going to see growth in our, our automotive product and you're going to see Expel more and more outside automotive around protection and personalization. Um, I want to see us grow a lot. Uh, and I think we can. We have, you know, we have every ability and reason and way to do that. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna. We've been early out of the gate, you know, operating internationally. You know, as a small, mm-hmm. as a small company. And and uh, when I say that, I don't just mean selling. I mean we have offices, we have boots on the ground. There are employees in these different countries, and you know that that too is I think a unique thing um, for for a lot of companies. Um, especially at a certain size. And we're going to do a lot more of that because that's a way, if you want to be the premium anything, the premium brand, we want to control the channel. We want to control our messaging. We want to, you know, get there and do it our way. And the way to do that and do that globally is to be there. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that international expansion for us as well. What all countries do you all have actual employees in? Um, Canada, Mexico, UK, Netherlands, Germany, uh, Taiwan, Probably missing missing one or two. No China yet. No China, but that's uh, certainly possible. Is that a forward. is that relative to sort of the way their markets are set up? Well, we have in in China and in any country where we're not don't have our own presence, we have independent distributors sure. right, who would buy the product in bulk and then work the channel beneath them. And our distributor in China is really the the best distributor in the world. Yeah. I mean, they they are they've done an amazing job. They get the product, they get the market, and it's really hard to find independent distributors. I mean, that's that's the that's the hardest part going to market huh. internationally because you know if they if 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 you're too specialized, they want to carry competing products. Well, we're not a product to be on a shelf with something else. Right. You, you need to be dedicated to us. So, I mean, something I've read about China is anytime there's a successful product in the market, there is a copycat product that uses the same brand, the same logo, the same oh, everything. Yeah, no doubt. Does that happen to you all oh, yeah. in China? We're, oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we are, we're constantly chasing uh, trademark infringements, uh, copyright bo- or, uh, uh, copied boxes and things. And not just in China, but then exported from China elsewhere. But, you know, that's not, that's not an only China uh, scenario. Sure. I mean, we, we saw a lot of that in the Middle East too. There was huh. a, uh, a Saudi uh, company who was selling Expel products. And who these tips are, y'all off on these this? Are legit, these are legit uh, copies of packaging huh. and, and other things. They do, a, they do a nice job. But you can't, you know, the information travels instantaneously now. So we'll have a customer that you might say, well, why are you selling this here? You're supposed to sell through me. 
or this is obviously fake to me, or I know yeah. they're not selling it. And, you know, we get that feedback on a, on a daily basis. Is there a basis. way to enforce your brand in some of these countries? Yeah. Yeah. We've, I mean, we've filed uh, trademark litigation, uh, trademark opposition to other marks that have been filed in a bunch of countries. Mm. And, you know, relative to China, we've probably done more of that than anywhere. And we've had really good luck. Um, we've been on the right side of the law and the right side of what's right. And the, the courts and, the, and the, the, the trademark group, you know, they've really sided with us and in other places too. It's, it's expensive, it's time consuming, but you know, it, it, it's a must. Outside of film and, and cars and all of that, does Expel have any sort of specific uh, involvement in the community? I know you and I talked about the food bank outside of this. Is there anything y'all focus on in terms of the San Antonio community? Well, we've been, we've been pretty, um, we've been pretty uh, scattered in terms of what we've done. You know, we've done, done a lot of different uh, uh, event sponsorship, but it's sort of uh, hit and miss how we do it. Obviously we've uh, uh, participated with the witty, like I mentioned, different mm -hmm. events, a number of other groups. I mean, I couldn't name them. There's a, uh, the Ferrari Kid, which is a great yeah. local charity. We've been involved with them. Um, but really, you know, kind of coming through this uh, COVID-19 situation and looking at the impact of that, it's caused me to be a lot, want to be a lot more uh, intentional about it. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, San Antonio is our biggest market by our employees, but we have, we're in all sorts of communities. Yeah. And we need to make sure that we're, that we're doing our part everywhere we can. So we're kind of in the process of, revamping how we look at that, trying to be more intentional and trying to make sure that you know, so long as we can afford it, that it, that that participation in the communities we're in scales up with our profits over time is an intentional thing, not sort of a, a happenstance. Do you have somebody in-house as an employee who's sort of a community relations type person? No, we don't. And we've been talking about that too. You know, how do we, as part of making it uh, more intentional, uh, you know, a lot of times for things like that, you know, we'd have great ideas from our team. Hey, we should do this. We should do that. And we're moving so fast, growing. It's like, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. But that doesn't actually mean it's the best thing to do. Sure. It may be just the person who talked the loudest. So trying to, to be more intentional about that, I think, is, is number one. And, and, you know, when you do something, go to an event, participate, you know, you're always touched and moved by whatever it is. And there's so many good, good causes, but we need to be smarter about it, I think. How can people learn more about Expel? Well, you go to our website, uh, expel.com, just X-P-E-L. Uh, Google us. You can, you can, there are lots of rabid fans uh, who love Expel. So if you want to see Expel on any car, any place, you want to see uh, Expel on a lot of Teslas, Porsches, really cool cars, just Google Expel. You'll see it, but expel.com. And you can listen to the San Antonio Business Journal podcast with Ryan talking in code like he's a business book. So yeah, that's interesting uh, as well. Successfully debunked that today. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, uh, thanks for doing this. I, I want to tell you, I brag about you to all of my friends who know anything about business. What you've done is incredible. Cause I remember we sat down and had beers 10 years ago yeah. and y'all were going bankrupt yeah. and you knew it. And you said, look, it's a hope and a prayer at this point. And now you're ringing the bell on the NASDAQ yep. and you're a local guy and you live down the street from me and yep. I couldn't be more proud of you. And I think what you're doing is great for San Antonio. Yep. You're still involved and you care about, you care about our community. So I think it's yeah. fantastic. So I do appreciate th that. Thanks for coming on the show. I don't know why it took me 25, you know, requests to get you to come on the show, but Hey, Madonna's hard to get Ryan yeah. Pape's hard to get. A lot of people that send me text messages feel the same way on a variety <laughs> of topics. So don't take it too personally. All right. So that's going to do it with this episode of, of the Alamo hour, uh, Ryan's episode 20 
um, was a good success, and hopefully you'll come on again. I mean, in a year or two, yeah. y'all are going to be Anytime. bigger, and you know, come on, I'll come on faster next time. So. Maybe you can come on covered in pain protection film. Yeah, anything can. I happen. mean, Burt Reynolds from Striptease kind of thing, but yeah, pain we protection might avoid film. That, but yeah, All never right. know. All right, so um, thanks for joining us. Our 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 wish list continues. Coach Pop, I'm getting no traction, but I'm going to keep hoping. Uh, Shay Serrano, uh, Patty Mills. Lonnie Walker, any of y'all, we'd love to have you on to talk about what's going on in San Antonio at the time. Uh, thank y'all for joining us. You can check out more. You can subscribe to the podcast at alamohour.com. So thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Alamo Hour. You are all what make this city so great. We hope you join us next week. In the meantime, subscribe to our podcast. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash alamohour or our website, alamohour.com. Until next time, Viva San Antonio!